Amen. You may be seated this morning. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're looking at a glorious church. A glorious church. I forgot to send my title over to the guys, and so they don't have a screen up there. So don't look up there for the reference. You're going to have to listen to me this morning. Somebody said that'll be a nice change. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, a glorious church. I'm going to start a series for the next several weeks, Lord willing, as he leads me and guides me through, about a glorious church. And some topics we'll look at is the people of the church, the purpose of the church, the passion of the church, the praise of the church. And so several message ideas the Lord has shared with me, and, and as from studying the Word of God, our theme for this year is be the church, and we've been so interrupted at times to know whether or not we'll have uh, continuity of services. It's difficult to teach uh, a series necessarily when you are two and three services in the morning or whatever, and so it's nice to have a little bit of structure for now, and we'll take advantage of that. And uh, so we're going to look at God's glorious church. I'm going to read one verse and we'll pray, and I'm going to try not to keep you too long this morning. We have a baptism today. We praise the Lord for that, and I'd encourage you, if, you, uh, if your mind begins to wander, uh, go ahead and pray for, for the young man being baptized. It's, uh, uh, how many of you would like to stand up in front of you, you know, and uh, get in a bathing suit and a gown and climb into a tank of water in front of all you folks? And so it's, it's uh, definitely something the Lord asks us to do to prove uh, as we make our profession of faith, that we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's not an easy thing, but we're thankful that he's taking this step of obedience today. So you be in prayer uh, for George today. Let's, let's look at the verse this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to grab, before we start, I'm going to grab some tissue. We were going to baptize, honestly, I'll just tell you what we did. We were going to baptize right after the ladies' trio, so the kids were all in here and they could see the baptism. And I went out there and I took my shoes off and I got my coat off and I went, there's no George. We told everybody except George. And so I came in, I said, George, come on out here for a minute. He goes, I don't, I don't even have my bag. It's down the hall somewhere. And so he says, I was thinking it was after church. I said, we'll do it after church. I don't want to stress you out. And so you go find your stuff, put it in there, and we'll do it right after the service this morning. And so I put my shoes back on and my coat back on, and I ran back in. So uh, we were back and forth for a couple minutes. But a lot of things that go on behind the scenes of a church that you never know uh, unless we fumble and fail. And I do that quite often. Ephesians 5, verse 27, you found your place, look there with me this morning, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, a glorious church. Think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ is one day returning in clouds of glory with the shout of an angel and the trumpet will sound, and what he wants to receive to himself is a glorious church. That's what will be presented to Christ. Not because of any merit of our own, but because of the finished work of Calvary and the blood that has washed us and cleansed us from our sins, and I'm thankful every day for it. For I'm a sinner and I have failed. And I'm thankful for the grace of God and the mercy of God that does not consume me in a moment. But I look at the church today and I see, and, I, and I, when I say the church in this context, I don't mean our local church, but as a whole, we see churches today that are drifting from the things of God. I want to be as close as we can 
to what God calls a glorious church. I don't believe we'll ever be perfect. You say, why is that? Because your pastor's not perfect. His wife is not perfect. The people are not perfect. But we want to be as close as we can to walking with God that when he comes, he will find a glorious church. It says this, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this word. Help us with it today as an introductory message to a series about the local church. We pray that you would encourage us and help us. Maybe there's some here today that are looking for a church. And Lord, maybe you would illuminate to them and open up the word of God. Help them to see their need to be a member of a local church. Maybe not this one, but that they would be a faithful member of a local church. So help us, Lord, as we consider what God's church is. And help us to understand the biblical precept and concepts that lie before us. Lord, I, again, on this morning, maybe I'll teach more than preach. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me with that as I would prefer to preach. But I pray that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit of God speak to hearts and move nonetheless. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I watch the news and I hear the word church, I almost start to cringe. How about you? Because it's rarely anything good. Somebody is associated with this church and they've had some sort of failure. Somebody that has made a big profit off the church. We see those stories from time to time and whenever the word church gets into the media, it really never comes with a good connotation. But you know, God loves his church. The Bible says that Christ died for the church. The church has been abused over the years and people have made it a big business, but we need to remember something. The church is an assembly of God's redeemed people. Those that are the children of God because they have been washed in the blood and have made a profession of faith. The Bible says that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths salvation. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you can be a part of God's great assembly, His church. We see in a pattern in the New Testament a local church. You'll notice that in several of the epistles that Paul writes, he'll say, to the churches of Ephesus. And so he's addressing local churches, places where people assemble. There's the idea of a universal church. I believe that there are fellow believers out there. I believe that. I believe that there's a body of Christ. I believe that one day we will all be consummate together. I believe that with all my heart. But it, when, when we think of the word church and the concept of the word church, the word church literally means assembly. Assembly. One day in heaven, all believers can assemble together. And if God wants to call that his church, that's fine. But on earth, he has churches where we assemble. It's not practical for us to have a universal church because we cannot assemble. Those in Africa that are saved and we can visit those churches and we can get a wonderful blessing over their heart for God and, 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 and often without the many luxuries that we have and know and yet they love Jesus and they sing and they praise God and, and tears will come to your eyes as you feel the moving of the Holy Spirit through those great church services. But, but that's another local church. 
If there's a universal church, we have to ask ourselves the question, where do they assemble? We have to ask ourselves the question, where do they baptize their believers? We have to ask ourselves the question, how do they bear one another's burdens? And so we understand that Paul wrote to local churches, and often when he uses the word church, he is referring to that assembly of local believers. And and very honestly, that is our concern, isn't it? We have a hard enough time taking care of ourselves, let alone the whole world. Now, we ought to pray for other believers. I hope you've been praying for those in Afghanistan, for the pastors and the missionaries and the people of God that are trapped there trying to serve God and live out their faith. And we've seen on the news and other places of the world where Christians are being persecuted, and we ought to pray for them. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ and still part of the body. And one day we will be united as a church in heaven. But we are talking about the local church today. And I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 1, we'll work our way through the book and we'll pull some verses out as we go. As the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, the first thing he says is this. He gives us the concept of the church. Whose idea was this thing, the church anyway? I mean, let's be honest, God could have sent his son Jesus Christ and Jesus could have died on the cross and shed his blood uh, for the loss, for sinners, as he did. And he could have just simply saved one at a time and said, okay, now go live as a Christian. But God said, no, I, I, I sent my son to call them out from the world that they might assemble together and form what we call the ecclesia, And that's where we get our word church from. Ecclesia is the Greek word and church is the transliteration of that word. And so the ecclesia is the assembly. We are gathered together in an assembly. That's why we have been so adamant over the last several months that it is important that we gather. I I appreciate, I really do, I appreciate online church. And I I know several weeks ago, I made a big deal about it and just said, you know, we really ought to get into church, local church. I know sometimes we're nervous, wear your mask, whatever you need to do, but we need to assemble. And I got an email from Amanda after the service. She says, I really appreciate the online services for days like this when her kids were homesick. That's the purpose of that. We want to be a help to those that are shut in. We want to be a help to those that are perhaps ill for a Sunday or perhaps traveling and they uh, out of town and they can't find a church where they're vacationing or whatever. Maybe they can watch online. We want to reach the lost that maybe are not coming to church and so they have the opportunity. We want to be able to minister to people uh, like that, that maybe are able to come to church but they're home caring for their loved ones like Brother Spong, for example. And so we... We, we believe in the assembly of the local church, but whose idea was it? Chapter 1 tells us, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you'll turn there, the Bible says in verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Look down verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, 
even in him. Jump down another verse, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I want you to notice this morning as we are building our way, this roadway that the Apostle Paul is taking us to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 that says one day Christ is coming and he wants to present us to him a glorious church, a glorious assembly without spot or wrinkle. He tells us way back in verse 1, the first signpost we come to along this road that we were predestinated. This was God's plan in eternity past. This is by the good pleasure of his will. In other words, the concept of the local church originated in the mind of God. This was, he said, well, why? we already know that, but I, I just want to emphasize it this morning so that we can get this idea that gives it value. Think about that. We value a lot of things in this life and we value, we value some social clubs perhaps. And maybe there's some here that are part of the Lions Club or different social type things that, that raise money for hospitals and they raise money for sick children and things. And, and they're wonderful organizations. Uh, I, I'm not commenting on the Lions Club in particular, but there's some wonderful organizations out there that, that are a help to our community. And maybe you're passionate about that. But listen, that wasn't God's idea. We have the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts that, uh, again, I'm not commenting on whether they're good or bad. I'm just saying they're there. Those were not God's idea. But as human beings, we give those things value. And we look forward to those meetings and we look forward to those support type groups and things. I'm here to say the thing that originated in the mind of God is the local church. And therefore, it ought to be important to his children, his followers. So, Friends, I, I would say that if God had the idea... It ought to be important to us. The church originated in the mind of God. Look at what he says in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. I'm going to read back in verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and even and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in, the, in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Notice, notice what God has done for the church. He has made Christ to be head over all things to the church. And it says this in verse 20 and 21, that he has a name that is above every name. And we, listen, there is no legitimate need allowed to exist in the local church. If it's legitimate. There's a lot of things that, that perhaps we do not need. And so God does not let us have them. God gives us often the desires of our heart beyond that. But I'm here to say that if it is God's church and God's worked on God's way, God will provide every need. I remember several years ago talking to a pastor in Hamilton. He purchased a new building and they were moving in and they were speaking to their people about it and the treasurer just kept coming to him. And he'd say, Pastor, we can't do this. We can't afford this. We can't afford this. We can't afford this. And I mean, literally, it was stuff like the light bill, hydro, electricity, the gas bill. He said, we got this mortgage payment now, and we're, we're stretched, and it's going to be difficult to pay this bill. And he says, I, we, just, we just can't afford it. We're going to have to do something here. And, and I said, so how did you deal with it? 
And I thought maybe he's going to say, I preached a sermon on, let's, let's give a little bit more. Let's try to get these bills paid. Let's, he says, well, first of all, I fired my treasurer. I'm just waiting to hear Brother Judd say amen. And then he says, we took it to God. And we said, God, this is your church. And I know you don't want us to have a poor testimony in this community. It's your church. We really need you to pay these bills. He says, in the three years we've owned the building, we've not missed a bill. God's supplied every single time. God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. He's the head of everything in the church. Sometimes we sit and we worry and we try to figure things out. Hey, God's in control. You knew when to leave the service, didn't you? I was just talking about firing the treasurer. Amen. Can I have a second to that motion? All right. The concept of the church, I didn't look up. I was afraid to look up. Originated in the mind of God. I want you to notice the second thing. The second thing we see in the scriptures this morning. Listen to this. This builds on the first. Since the concept of church originated in the mind of God, you have to be converted to be a member. You have to be converted to be a member. You have to be a child of God. You have to be saved. He says all the way back in verse 1 to the saints, which are at Ephesus. That, we trip over that word. Sometimes I remember meeting a lady at the door in Stony Creek, and she had a necklace on and had the saint of something. She was well in her 80s. I said, what is this? And she said, well, that saint, I think it was Bartholomew. She says, he is the patron saint of this and that. And, and I said, did you know I'm a saint? No, you can shoulder the Bible. If you're a child of God, you're a saint. We may not act like it always, but the Bible says we're saints. Notice what he says about being converted. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 8. Verse 8. Oh, I got the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. He's talking about what we used to be. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, hey, whenever you see the words, but God, in your Bible, something's about to change. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Paul is giving the gospel to the church at Ephesus, reminding them of what they once were, and now what they are. By the grace of God they are as saved people. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 tells us this, then they that gladly received his word, accepted Christ, were baptized, a profession of their faith, and the same day they were added unto them, about 3,000, they were added to the church at Jerusalem. Listen, this is the only organization in the world that you have to be born again to be a part of. Again, that gives it value. Think about this. Every other member of the local church has made a profession of faith. I did not say they were saved. They should be. That's the biblical concept that we should be saved to be a part of the church. 
But every other person that's in our church as a member of Bethel Baptist Church has made a profession of faith. You say, well, I thought they had to be saved. I, I don't know that. I can't see the heart. We follow the Bible perception. We, we, we try to see if there's fruit. We want them to understand that they have to make a profession of faith through water baptism or they've been baptized in another church of like faith or practice. That is a public profession of our faith. And, and so I, I just want to caution you. When you talk about your church, you're not talking about some organization. You're talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the church. When we badmouth somebody in the church, we're talking about one of God's children, God's kids. Oh, let me ask you today. We got some young parents sitting here today. How would you like it if I started badmouthing your children? We don't, we don't like to hear that. It might be true, but we still don't want to hear it. We don't want people bad-mouthing our kids or talking about them. We don't want anybody abusing them. I wonder how God feels when we start tearing apart other believers. Sometimes it's for the silliest things. We ought to be real careful and understand, listen, do you know that God's seal is on them? That seal says to Satan, they belong to me, they don't belong to you. And yet believers run right by that seal time and time again to attack Let's be very careful and understand those are God's children. We're to love one another. We're to prefer one another. If you have a concordance or a, something on your phone, maybe a, a Bible on your phone, I'd encourage you, look up the phrase in the New Testament, one another. I believe it appears over 30 times how we are to prefer one another, love one another, admonish one another, exhort one another. Over and over again, we're to put others first. They're God's kids. The concept of the church originating among the God, you have to be converted to be a member. I want you to notice, thirdly, the cost of the church. I'm not talking about tithings and offerings today, but I want you to notice the cost of the church. It, it, costs, it ought not surprise us that it costs us something to belong to God's glorious church. You know, the funny thing is, Somebody will say, well, I just, don't, I just don't want to behave that way when I go to the church. I, I got liberty. Liberty, 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 liberty. That's our word for the day. But then I'll see them during the week working at McDonald's, and they're wearing a funny hat and a hairnet. And dressing in a goofy... McDonald's has the goofiest uniforms. You ever notice that? Over the, they change all the time, but they have the goofiest uniforms. You remember when they used to have like the mustard and ketchup color uniforms that look like Ronald McDonald up there? And we're happy to do it for, well, I was going to say eight bucks an hour. It's not anymore, is it? It's 14 bucks an hour. We'll do it for minimum wage, but we're not willing to do it to serve Christ. And, and listen, we don't have a ton of rules. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we, sometimes being in a church member should cost us something. Notice, notice what the Bible says. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, For this cause I, Paul, the what? Prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in what? Bonds. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
A prisoner or an ambassador in bonds is one who has restricted movement. Paul has said, I have given up certain liberties. He said, well, maybe he's talking about a prison house experience, perhaps. But I also remember Paul saying, if eating meat is an offense to a weaker brother, I'll I'll not eat meat the rest of my life. I'll put it aside. (coughs) I will limit the extent of my liberty so that I can be a help and a blessing and, and reach out to others. And so let's remember there's a, a cost of belonging to God's church. We are to be careful that we're not an offense to other people. You might have heard me pray this morning as I talked about those that would offend one of these little ones. What's the Bible say about that? It'd be better that a millstone were hung around our necks and we were cast into the sea. I don't want to stand before God on Judgment Day having offended a little one. We have liberty in Christ, but there's guardrails. Sometimes we misinterpret and say, well, those are fences. They're trying to control us. They're trying to keep us in. No, there's a cliff on the other side. God's word gives the guardrails. Now, listen, man-made standards do not. We have standards as every organization has standards. Like I said, you can't work at McDonald's without wearing a hairnet. I don't even have hair, and they'd make me wear one. It's just we come to church and say, no, they're guardrails. They're to protect you. We say, young people, be careful what you put before your eyes. We're not, we're not trying to stop you from having fun. Go ride a roller coaster you want to have fun. We're just saying, it's a dangerous path. It'll take you places that, that you don't want to go. And sometimes it doesn't even stop there. Be careful. We used to sing to the kids all the time, be careful little eyes what you see. There's nothing wrong with having guardrails in our life. When I was a child, mom and dad had a fence outside the side of the house. And as long as I stayed in that fence, I had liberty. I could run around. I could play. I could, my brother and I would hang each other from that fence. Mom didn't even know. I mean, it didn't. as long as we had in that fence, we had liberty. But one day, I think I got out of the gate. I was about one and a half. What I mom? Walked all the way up to my grandpa's farm. That was dangerous. I could have been hit on the road. That's the road all the trucks from Stelco come down. Very, very dangerous. There was a reason there was fences. So let's let's understand that when Paul says there's a cost to being in the church, uh, we need to die daily. He said, I am crucified with Christ. We need to put aside ourselves for the benefit of others that we might reach the lost. Paul says, I have made all things to all men that I might win some. What are we willing to limit in our liberties? And then we see, fourthly, the contribution to the church. Again, I'm not talking about tithing. Look at First Corinthians chapter or Ephesians chapter four. Sorry, go there first. Ephesians chapter four. I'm not going to spend much time on this because of our time is running low. Look at Ephesians chapter four. When you got saved, there's another phrase that we use to describe our salvation experience. Jesus said, you must be what? Born again. It was a birthday. And when you had your spiritual birthday, you received a birthday gift. Every child of God received a spiritual gift. Notice what it says in chapter 4 and verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts 
unto men. Now that's a reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul would later expound on all the spiritual gifts that God has given to believers to be used for his glory in his church. I want to encourage you today that God has given you a gift. God has given you a, a spiritual gift that you can use for his glory. And he said, well, I, I don't have the gift. That's not true if you're a child of God. He gave you a gift. You say, well, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's exhortation. Maybe you're just supposed to go around and encourage the brethren. Maybe it's the gift of teaching. Maybe you're supposed to go and help in a class and teach children. He said, well, I can't stand up. You don't have to stand up in front of a group. You can get on a bus and you can sit with a kid and you can teach them one-on-one. I'm just saying that God has given you a gift that we are to develop and to use for his glory. I remember years ago going home from Sunday school and I, it was some sort of career day or something. And so they talked about, they, they encouraged kids to dress up. And so some came as firemen and policemen and doctors and nurses and different things. And uh, they just wanted to say, show us what you want to be when you grow up. I think I was about eight years old. And I remember coming home in the car. And of course, the thrust of the day was Those are all wonderful things, but what is God's will for your life? What does God want you to do? And so the lessons were all on that lines and just kind of directing kids to follow God. Those are wonderful ideas, but let's follow God. And so we got in the car, and I guess we were talking about it, and I remember my mom saying, well, maybe maybe God wants you to be a preacher one day. I said, there's no way I'll ever get up in front of people like that. I'm just saying that the gifts that you have just may not be developed yet. We need to work on them and develop them to be used for God's glory. Step out of that comfort zone. The Bible says he gave gifts unto men. Do you even know what your gift is? Sometimes it's that thing that just starts coming out of you and you don't even realize. There, there are people in the church where I'll say, boy, they got the gift of encouragement. I, I can tell it. Just know it. Then there's others I go, boy, they don't have that gift of encouragement, I'll tell you. You can just sense that as well. They have, the, they have the gift of knowing what is right and wrong, black and white, and there's no giving. And, and you can just sense that sometimes too. And, th- and those are important things that we have a balance of that in the church. And so your contribution, what are you doing for God? Somebody said a church is often like a football game. There are 22 people on the field who are in desperate need of rest and 50,000 people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise. That's so true. We need to get involved. Somebody had once visited a a poor income area and he was going through a doctor checking all the children in some program that they had in Chicago. They were going house to house and just want to check your children. And little boy, this is back in the 1960s. They checked him, looked inside, and the doctor said, well, he seems to be healthy, but he says, we... We should take those tonsils out. I'm coming through with a kind of an ambulance-type clinic, and he said, we're doing minor surgeries, and he says, we should take his tonsils out. And his father said, "Do you are, are his tonsils infected? He says, no. He said, well, I don't remember them ever having a problem with his tonsils. He says, and he says but what, what makes He says, well, he just doesn't need them. Understand this. The dad wisely said, and the young man became a preacher, And he shared this story. He says, my dad wisely said, God didn't make my son with any spare parts. I got thinking about that. The church is a body. There's no spare part. You see what he's saying? Every one of you is important. 
Every last one of you. Listen, you say, well, I, I got body parts that aren't important. My little toe's not in them. You lose that little toe, you'll find out how important it is. You'll have to learn how to walk again, keep your balance and all those things. Everything is important. You are important. And God has given you a gift to use for his glory. What are we contributing to the church? And then we see the conduct of a church member. We're going to move quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the seedful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him uh, that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another. Well, that's a good verse to learn. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The conduct of a church member. Listen, sometimes people say, well, I don't like that preach, preaching on behaving and conduct and, and the law and the law and the law. Listen, I am thankful that Ephesians talks about the law, but it also talks about grace. I'm a sinner and I failed so often. I think about the bitterness and wrath and things. And sometimes we get angry. Oh, we got to be careful. But I thank God for his grace, that he'll forgive us once again. But there's a certain conduct for a church member. Listen, there's a conduct no matter where you go. We work at different places. They have rules of conduct. And why should God's church be any different? We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to reach a lost and dying world, listen, it has to be different in here than it is out there. They're not going to want what we have. There had to be a conduct. Let me uh, give you some verses just to jot down. We're, we're running out of time. Ephesians 5, verse 18. The Bible gives us more. He says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. And, and then verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And as, as unto the Lord, husbands, the head of the wife. And so there's all these things about the church, remember, how we should behave. Ephesians 5, 18 through 27. God expects us as children of God to behave a certain way. Listen. You say, I don't like that word submit. Can I tell you this? I don't like that word submit. I, I, I guess when we were kids, we'd wrestle. I had a cousin. And my brother and I take both of us to wrestling. And we'd get him down on the ground and we'd twist him and we'd try to hold him down. He was a big guy. And we'd say, say, uncle... There's no way he was saying it. It didn't matter. We were his pesky little cousins. He wasn't going to do that. And we'd hold him down. We'd wrestle him. Now I see him once in a while with his kids, and they're all grown. And I said, did, did your dad ever tell you how I used to beat him up when we were kids? And he'd just laugh at me. But he'd just laugh at us. Just, just swat us away like flies anytime he wanted to, because we were just those little kids. We were like Timmy and Toby wrestling an adult. Just think about that. Say, uncle! He would never submit. 
But here's what we learned in turn. He'd flip us over and he'd put his arm behind our back. And he'd put his knee on us and he'd hold us down. He'd say, you say, uncle. And we were too stubborn to do it. I mean, he could hold us there until we cried if he wanted to. We weren't going to I hate submitting. That's my flesh. That's my pride. We struggle because the Bible says, wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands. But men, you have to submit as well to the Lord. Submit yourself to him. He is the head of the church. By him, all things consist. It's a pattern that God has put into our lives to teach us order and respect for authority. We submit. The conduct of a church member. Here's the last thing. The conflict of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. The conflict of the church. If I can be honest with you, I wanted to give you this, this message this morning, but I really want you to focus on this last thought. The conflict of the church. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You know this passage, right? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let me say this about the conflict of the church. Number one, God has given you enough armor to be successful in any battle. Number two, we have to decide who it is we're fighting. That armor is not for the deacons to put on and come to a deacons meeting or for me to put on and go to a deacons meeting. That's not what it's intended for. That armor is not for you to put on and come to a church meeting. On a totally unrelated note, your packets are ready for the AGM this month. We're not to come to those things and have our armor on. The Bible says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do well to remember that when we have a rebellious teenager in our house. Yeah, there's a struggle going on right now in the flesh. But the Bible says the real, the real problem, the real battle is a spiritual battle. There's something going on behind the scenes God has not captivated their heart or he has not captivated my heart. And so we are in conflict. But my real battle is put on the whole armor of God. And then I need to pray with all prayer and supplication. Humble myself before God and beg and plead with him to fight the battle. Listen, I believe every believer needs to learn how to fight. I don't mean how to go out and train for a heavyweight boxing match. But I mean we need to learn how to pray. We are living in a day and age where things are changing rapidly. I mean, the world is going crazy. 
And there's going to be a brand new challenge tomorrow morning. And you say, well, how do I deal with this? The same way you deal with everything else. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith. Have your helmet of salvation. Have your loins girt about with truth. Have your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace. And, and, and make sure that you are praying with all prayer and supplication. That's how we battle. That's how the church wins its conflicts. By giving them unto the Lord and putting on his armor. And standing. He says, above all, stand. Stand. Friends, are we willing to take that fight? I'm not saying that we're going to... I've heard guys say, well, I'm, gonna char- I'm willing to charge hell with a squirt gun. Well, you better be prayed up, buddy. Because all the forces of hell, boy, I tell you what, I don't feel like I'm a match for them most days, that's for sure. But I do know this, if I have the armor of God and I'm praying, well, God will take care of it. It's like we sang this morning, he is the ancient of days. He is still on his throne. I like that first verse. I don't know if you caught it. It says, only one remains on his throne. There's, we, we look around at the earthly dominions and the thrones and the crowns and all the things. When you get to heaven, there's only one throne. There's only one king. None of this matters down here. You can go and you can beseech government and you can call, and, and I'm not against that. You are a citizen. You ought, to, you ought to do citizen things. That is your duty. But listen, our number one duty is as a child of God, and there's our throne. That's where we look. That's who we talk to. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I just wanted to launch a sermon series about God's glorious church. God has a prescription or a set of requirements that he expects from his people. And and here's the thing. I know we know that, don't we? We all know that. You're here today trying to live a holy life, trying to live a Christ-like life. Sometimes we don't like the, the verses that say, put on or put off. We don't like those things. Like They cut to the heart. They do me too. But I'm telling you, God has put them up as guardrails to help you, to strengthen your walk with him, that we might be the glorious church that he wants us to be. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Brother Calvin's going to come and he's going to take the invitation for us this morning. As we prepare for a baptism, pray for this young man. God has spoke to your heart. This altar's open. Would you pray for our church? Would you pray for one another that we'd have the courage just to stand on Bible truth and do what God wants us to do?